The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So the Brahma Viharas, we've been investigating, talking, practicing with the Brahma Viharas for the last several weeks. And um, tonight will be the last of the investigation of any particular Brahma Vihara. There are four of them. Brahma Viharas are heart qualities that the Buddha spoke about. And he spoke about time and again about the importance of cultivating four heart qualities in our lives. Loving kindness compassion, empathetic joy, and then finally equanimity. And tonight we're going to be talking about equanimity. Sharon spoke about equanimity a couple of uh, weeks ago. And what we've been doing is we've been doing two sessions on each. First one is simply talking about it. And the second one, which will be tonight, talking about the quality. And tonight will be, I'm going to actually talk about it for a while in a bit of a different way. And then we'll do a little bit of practice around equanimity. Um, equanimity means even-mindedness. A, a balanced state of mind. Uh, it's kind of being present to whatever comes up without grabbing onto it or pushing it away. And as far as I'm concerned, and I think of a lot of people as well, it's probably the hardest of the Brahma Viharas to actually embody. Uh, it is just not easy. And I think the reason why it's so hard is because there are three huge challenges we as human beings face when we think about equanimity. And what, that's what I would like to briefly talk about, really briefly talk about this evening. And uh, the three challenges, and then how we can work with each. And this is going to be pretty brief. But the first is the challenge that we all have, and that's the instinct to protect me and mine. Hmm? It's pretty hardwired into us as human beings to protect me and mine. I think it's quite linked to our survival instinct, right? And it is expressed in a zillion different ways in our lives. I think we all know that, down to some really trivial levels. And I will give you one example and from my own experience, and that was uh, uh, an adventure I had with an umbrella on a retreat. And it was raining, and I had brought my umbrella into one of the buildings, I don't know what, uh, and then on the way out, maybe it was the meditation hall, and then way out to meal, Somebody else took my umbrella. And here I was on retreat and cultivating equanimity and all good things, and I was upset. I watched this person walk out with my umbrella. And, you know, my eyes followed the person, and I knew they didn't know. They weren't stealing it, they, because the, the retreat center supplied umbrellas too. But this was mine, and, you know, there were others sitting there. So in the next building, and I guess it was the, med the lunch, the med um, meal hall, I made sure to get my umbrella back. You know? And then I have to tell you, I actually noticed this person a little bit more during the day because, oh, there's the person who took my umbrella. It's like, um, so this was not equanimity, right? No equanimity right there. So I would have to say that my, my heart really goes out to us, and I mean humanity. It's so hard for us, I think. 
we're really facing a big dilemma. And the dilemma is, is that we want to survive. We want to thrive. And at the same time, um, we know there's change and we're constantly being triggered. We don't want to lose things. It's a threat to us. We even hold on, as I've just pointed out, at the umbrella level. Mm. At the umbrella level. And we're fighting a losing battle, right? You know, if it's at the umbrella level, you know, it's like, what about all the other levels? Mm. Well, the Buddha actually pointed this out. And he said that everything dear and delightful will change and pass away. The teaching. We know it. Many of us who've been doing this for a long time have been here many, have heard it many, many times. And that doesn't stop us from reacting over an umbrella. So the paradox is that uh, we can think equanimity is a really good thing, we can be practicing it, and yet we can be triggered. Uh, this is being human. I will say that this is the first and second noble truth that the Buddha articulated. His first noble truth, there's suffering in life. And the second one, it comes from holding on to something. The little umbrella story typified the first and second noble truths, did they not? Hmm? So what do we do in the face of this paradox, this very human paradox? And the Buddha actually gave a real clear directive, and he said, let go. Third noble truth. We need to cultivate the letting go and to trust. You know what? We're not going to die. I could have let go of that umbrella. I knew I could have let go of the umbrella. I couldn't do it, but I knew I could. So we need to just keep practicing the letting go and trusting. You know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We can let go. That's the third noble truth. The cause of suffering is holding on and we can let go. But what's so interesting, and as Sharon pointed this out the other night, when she talked about equanimity, we cannot directly cultivate equanimity. It doesn't work in the midst of a situation to say, I've got to be equanimous, I've got to be equanimous, I've got to be equanimous, right? Forget it. It just, it's not going to work. Yeah, it's like the idea of a stiff upper lip, right? I'm going to be equanimous, like a stiff upper lip. Well, we can have a stiff upper lip, but our stomach is going to be in an uproar. Right. So we can be trying to cultivate equanimity, but it can be an, oh, just a, a, f a flop. So what do we have to do? We cultivate it indirectly. We in cultivate equanimity in, by in, indirection. Letting go. Letting go of that which we're holding on to. We don't have to think I have to be equanimous. We work on, oh, okay, can I open my hand on this? And in some cases we can. We can manage. And in some cases, you know what? We can't. Not with any kind of graciousness or spaciousness. And when you can't, kindness. Bring kindness to yourself. Okay, yeah, I wish I could let go of this easily. It's going to go anyway. I mean, it's gone, perhaps. But I'm still holding on to it. And grieving. And that's human. So we bring kindness to our grief. And we keep practicing the letting go, letting go. Mm. 
That's the first challenge then. And that is a challenge, you can say, to anything that seems to threaten me and mine. The will to survive, the instinct to survive. The second challenge and the second reason why I think we hold on, love, right? We hold on when we love something. There's an ancient uh, Chinese patriarch who said, the way to the ultimate is not hard. Simply give up picking and choosing. And I think, uh, good luck, you know. Good luck at that. The heart chooses before we're even aware of it. There's the sunset, so beautiful. It just touches us. We wish it would last. A child, a life partner, you name it. Our heart chooses it. And it's not even uh, necessarily willed. It just happens. It happens, seems to happen on its own. So it has always been. It's always been like that, and I think it's always going to be like that. That's how the human heart works. So we hold on. And by the way, I think as Sharon pointed out, for, when in terms of equanimity, the near um, enemy, as it's called, that which masquerades as equanimity is indifference. But the far enemy, the polar opposite, is this clinging that we're talking about right now. It's absolutely not equanimity. At least we can bear this teaching in mind and be kind to ourselves when we're still hanging on. But knowing, you know, the time comes, we're being called to let go of that which is telling us it needs letting go of. I think that the English poet, William Blake, caught exactly what it is that we need to do. And he said in his poem, Eternity, he said, he who binds himself to a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. To kiss the joy as it flies, to know it's there, to know it's not always going to be there, to kiss it, to love it thoroughly while it's there. I think that's the answer. That's the kind of letting go. You see, some people hear this teaching of oh, letting go, no clinging, and they think, what? I'm not supposed to love? You know, that's kind of an off-putting teaching, is it not? But that's not the answer. That's not the point. The point is, is we're human beings and we're going to love, but it's how we love with the recognition that it is going to come, it's there, and it's going to go at some point. Everything will go, will it not? And finally, it will be our own life that goes as well. We relinquish, 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 and finally, it is our own life that is relinquished. We all have faced this innumerable times on small levels and really ma major ones in our lives. And I think seniors, being one of those myself, face it in a big way. We face it in a big way. We lose a life partner. Maybe our financial situation changes. Our health may change, whatever. There have to be changes in lifestyles, don't there? have to be major, major changes. Letting go, 
You know, either we learn it, life is going to keep asking us to learn that lesson. So we have innumerable opportunities. That's a good side. That's looking to the, the half full side of the glass. Hey, I have lots, of, I'll have another opportunity to do this right, right? But meanwhile, we really are trying, letting go, kiss the joy as it flies. And it occurs to me when I thought of that poem, you know, actually, when we have what we love, a great deal of our attention often isn't on the uh, enjoying it in the moment. It is about what's wrong. We're looking to see what else is wrong. You know, okay, we got this. Now, what else is wrong here? Because that's the way the mind is. It's default mode of the mind. You know, this seeking threat. How about us focusing in the moment on what is beautiful and right and loved and is present? And then kissing the joy when it is no longer present. The third noble truth. The Buddha didn't say it quite like that, but it basically that's what it is. It boils down to that. There's a third challenge, I think, to the practice of equanimity. And that third challenge, um, I was just talking about the fact that the heart loves, but I'll say the, fa- the third challenge is, I think, the heart also hates. Now, let me define hate. It's not only this outright seeing red hate, but it's all the range, whole range of aversion, Right? Fear, anxiety, dislike, and yes, downright hate. All of that. Heart does that too. And that also is a challenge for us when we're trying to practice equanimity. And need we go any further? I don't want to hit this one too hard because we could spend the rest of the evening on it. And that is you taking a look at politics on the national level and there are just so many things and so many people disagree with or passionately agree with. But it is not equanimous. It is hard to be equanimous. What do we do? How do we manage to cultivate, if we can, some equanimity around that which the heart finds hard to love, hard to even accept. And the answer is to embrace the imperfection. What we see is imperfection. To embrace imperfection. It's part of the deal of being human. We didn't set it up like this, but it's the way it is. It's never going to be your idea of perfection or my idea of perfection, either personally or on any other level. There are always going to be things wrong. And as long as we're out there fighting and giving our nose, and it's not saying don't take action. Of course we take action. But if we, our hearts are just locked up in this negativity, this is not equanimity. It's not equanimity. So... Dropping the idea of perfection or that anything is going to be ultimately perfection or last that way for very long if it is your idea of perfection, you know, we need to think again. That's just not in the cards. So what does it mean? That means that, oh, we are being challenged to simply accept that this is the way life goes. It's imperfect. Hmm. So embracing imperfection. And when we can do that, we're cultivating equanimity. 
that's cultivating equanimity. I want to read a poem right now by a Zen poet, Kazuaki Tanahashi. It's called Pine Needle. It appeared in the latest issue of Lion's Roar. A pine needle in an ocean of trees. Timeless serenity of this very moment. A pine needle lying in the stone garden. Timeless serenity of this very moment. A pine needle flying in a stormy wind. Timeless serenity in this very moment. So we are the pine needle. And we're often tossed about in a stormy wind. And are we embodying timeless serenity in this very moment? Probably not. We may be trying, though. We may be trying. Mm. I will say this trying, this cultivating, this practice which seems so imperfect, which is often so flawed, is so important. Not because we're going to do it all the time and learn how to be perfect at it. It's imperfect, it's imper- it is important because we are aligning ourselves. When we practice equanimity or any of the other Brahma Baharas, we are aligning ourselves with the ultimate spacious truth that the Buddha points to time and again in his teaching. Alignment. We practice what we practice in order to align ourselves. Not, pardon me, not in order to align ourselves, but that's what we are doing. We are expressing in our everyday life, in a relative way, those open, spacious quality of the ultimate truth the Buddha points to. And I know some of you know in your heart or feel in your heart what that means, that ultimate truth. The Buddha spoke about it often. He called it the unconditioned, the unformed, the pure, the... there. 33, actually, somebody counted it up, different labels he gave to what this unconditioned is. Finally, you can't give labels, it's wordless. Jesus talked about it when he talked about the peace that passes all understanding. And I think all of you have felt it in your heart, a yearning for something that seems to be missing in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. When we practice the Brahma Viharas, we are aligning with that. So we do our best. We do our best. We act as though, in a way, that we were already there. Acting as though, as if. And that's beautiful. So thank you for listening. And I want to shift right now into your practice, our practice, around equanimity. I'm going to suggest that we break up into smaller groups. We've done this before a few times. Of five or six people. Why don't you do that right now, really quickly, five or six people, and then I will... talk about this in a moment.
Okay, so yes, first of all, before you read anything, I'm going to ask everybody, please, to just close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to ask you, eyes closed, if you will please think, consider just for a moment, some area in your life, a challenging area, but where you're considering taking action are already are taking action, but someplace that's challenging for you. Okay, holding that in mind. So now, let's come to the second point here. You can open your eyes. So if you please, I've got, there are a couple of teachings by the Buddha here. I'll ask somebody in the group, in each group, one person to read those two teachings. You can read along with them. Most of you have papers. And then in your group, discuss how these teachings apply to the circumstances you've just thought about in your life. Hmm? So why don't you ask someone in your group to read aloud in the group the teachings. Thank you, everybody. Let's just get together in, a whole, in the full group any old way that we are. You want to just turn your chairs around. And wanted to see if there are any comments, thoughts about this. Was this a hard one to discuss? Did you not get what it was all about from the uh, quotes? Or was it juicy? What was it for you? Any comments about it? And, and if you'd raise hands, Judy has a uh, mic there that she will give you so others can hear what you're saying. Any comments? <laughs> this was a rousing success. <laughs> Is there no comments because, like, eh, what to say? Go ahead, what, Joe? You're speechless. Wow. <laughs> this is, could be either good or just horrible. <laughs> David. I talked about was the challenge of this, the challenge of it, um, particularly in relationship to a loved one's suffering. Yeah. So it was, it's really a relevant issue for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you, David. Yeah. Anybody else? Your comments. The practice, can you practice equanimity? What do you do? How do you handle it? How are you handling it? Um, I think there was a theme in our group about just how difficult it is. Um, But particularly, I think there was... Um, some agreement about Can you speak that it's particularly difficult with when it comes to our children. With chil- your children. Because yeah, yeah. feeling like, okay, I'll just be fine with even if you want to take the wrong path. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you, Bob. Anybody else? Comment? Well, 
we didn't get to talk about this, but I also this need for acknowledgement, you know, to let go, to be who you are without getting anybody's opinion about it, good, bad, or indifferent, and being able to give yourself kindness, as you said, or recognition, like, oh, this good thing happened, and I was somehow involved with that. But it didn't have to be that so-and-so said, you're great, or you're not great, or... And so I thought of equanimity in relation to that, too. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you're choosing. Jim. Yeah. It's actually a question to something you were discussing earlier. So, so how do you know you're enlightened when you no longer care about the umbrella? Is that how do you know what? When you're enlightened, when you no longer care about the umbrella, is that, <laughs> is that the requirement? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, or uh, yeah. Is that what it takes? Partly, <laughs> partly, or also just to be able to embrace the fact that whoop, I just noticed that you know I was a little bit jostled, but you know what? There we go. It's okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, maybe I'm always going to care about that. You know, I don't, who knows? We don't know. Yeah, we just do our best. Yeah, yeah. So it's Joni. one. It's one thing to think about the umbrella. It's another thing to be a parent and you're thinking about your child's behavior and where they're going. It's another thing to think about the mass killings with the guns. It's another thing to look at some of the severe atrocities that take place and to have judgment, quote, judgment, about things that are happening and being able to move into some kind of action and still stay in the state of iniquity. Yes, yes. Is, is the conflict. Of, Absolutely. Because the judgment arises, and it could be as small as an umbrella, and as large as some really drastic situations. Um, Which, yes. And by not being actively involved in addressing them or saying, I don't want to stand in judgment, or I don't, I, there's a confusion there for me. Yes, of course, and, and, and we are human beings. There is conflict, there is paradox. You know, uh, Gandhi's statement often comes to my mind that we are trying to become the change we wish to see in the world. And we're not going to do it perfectly, but it seems to me that's a guiding light. It's a guiding principle. Yeah, it is confusing, yeah. So it isn't acting out of the, uh, hopefully, that's our guide, not to act out of the anger and the, but to act from a different place. That doesn't mean don't act. And when we fail and we're just purely angry, so we're purely angry and we notice it and offer ourselves love. Wow, I'm really angry now. What else can we do? And keep on, we keep on in the face of it all. Thank you, Joni. Yeah. Okay, one more. Yes, you are Liz, is that you? Hi, Liz. Hi. I think the really sad part of the really sad part of that uh, that tears me up every time I hear something about a child or shady. So, please hold it up. I am. Yes, I'm, your voice doesn't project until you do. 
Like that? That's good. All right. Those issues keep me awake. They make me sad. They've done a lot more damage than they should for somebody who's not involved with them. But the, the real problem with that is they've been happening since time began. Yes. Yes. I, I guess nobody really thought about equanimity or, in all that time. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. And now it is time when we need to go. And I want to thank all of you for coming. Hope that we will all just think about the many, many paradoxes uh, in terms of cultivating equanimity. We have so many opportunities that can face us. So thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. Next week is going to be our wrap-up, by the way. Brahma Viharas, and I think all the teachers who are involved in it, in presenting are going to be here. Hope you're going to be here too. Have a great week.